This is Tommy's Outdoors 96, and this episode is a special treat for all you shark anglers out there, especially those of you who target blue sharks, like uh, probably the most common big shark species in the waters around, well, Europe. Um, our guest is Dr. Simon Thomas. Uh, Th- Simon is a veteran shark angler. And he's also a scientist who spent substantial portion of his professional career uh, working with the data related to blue shark, blue shark catches, and so on. Um, but even if you're not shark angler or angler in general, but you're just interested in sharks, shark biology, this episode is also for you, and you will find a lot of very interesting information. Um, yeah, so I'm not going to be dragging this introduction any longer. Just before you let you, I let you go, uh, just a reminder that if you want to support uh, Tommy's Outdoors podcast and you want to support what I do and help the podcast, the best way to do this is to share it with your friends. Like, send a text message right now or email to a person who think you think would enjoy this episode of the podcast. And also, retweet the tweet, share the Facebook post, put an Instagram post into your story. You know the drill. Um, let's uh, get this episode out there and let's make sure that every shark angler out there uh, hears about it and has an opportunity to hear from uh, Dr. Simon Thomas about shark angling and handling techniques and shark biology and all those things, which ultimately will translate to more catches and also uh, improve shark welfare. So that's it. Um, Ladies and gentlemen, Blue Sharks and Dr. Simon Thomas. Simon, welcome to Tommy's Outdoors. Thanks for doing this for us. No problem at all, Tommy. So, 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 blue shark season. Where, when it starts, it's going to be like um, early July, and will go until the late October. Maybe do you agree? We see the very first of them in Penzance. They see them probably the second to third week in May. Very first fish. Um, we occasionally see them in Plymouth because we're a bit further east at the end of May. And then it goes on till October. Um, tends to be once the big storms happen, it tends to get a bit more patchy. Um, and then they sort of retreat westwards again. So Penzance probably sees them to the end of October. I have heard of them in November. It has happened, but it's unusual. Yeah, um, I, I I caught one very early November. It's driven by the by the uh, weather, by the what water temperature really. Yeah, temperature's part of it. Um, blue sharks in our waters tend to like stratified water, so in the summer you get this sort of um, top bit of water which is the same temperature, then you get a thermocline, which goes down to another temperature. And blue sharks in our water like to stay in the top bit, and once the storms make that layer f- collapse. They tend to go back to where you know migrate elsewhere. 
Uh, awesome. Listen, I'll I'll jump right into it uh, just for fun. And I feel like we need to publish that episode perhaps like early May, second week of May when the yeah. shark season starts. That That's going to be probably perfect. And people who are going to listen and watch that uh, then will tell whether we, we or I managed to keep that pro promise. Simon, tell us a few words about yourself, how it started for you, how you get fascinated with blue sharks yeah like how what's your what's the story well i mean originally i was from the southeast um i did both course fishing and uh sea fishing um a lot of both i did match fishing i you know, did a lot of beach fishing a lot of boat fishing and i moved down here um 18 years ago something like that and Whilst I was playing around at the university, I had a request from a friend of mine who was a skipper, um, still is a skipper, a man called Dave Uren, and he was doing a tagging program um, as part of um, the NBA team for uh, led by David Sims. And he said, we've, we've never really fished for blue sharks before. Do you fancy coming along? So it was during the time when, I mean, I think once we went 23 days without seeing a shark, I mean, they were so, at the time, numbers in this country were so low. And to be honest, we made every mistake you could possibly make. <laughs> <laughs> I can't tell you the numbers of muck-ups we managed to do. Uh, but we learned. Um, by the end of it, we got pretty good at it. And I've crewed for Dave ever since. I've had my own boats. Um, you know, I've seen, I've seen over 4,000 blue sharks caught, or caught them myself since, since then. But... You know, I, the first one I ever saw, I mean, that sort of flash of blue, that, that brightness of them, extraordinary creatures, and, and just watching them. I mean, I could just watch them in a slick without fishing for them. They absolutely fascinate me. Um, and I I sort of realised that we had all, you know, all these skippers down here, every, you know, are experts. They're experts at what they do. They've been doing this stuff for years and years. And, you know, as a scientist... I was working on a different discipline. I thought, wow, all this data is going to waste. <laughs> Why on earth would you waste it? Um, and I think part of the problem is that a lot of scientists treat anglers and skippers as inferior. And, you know, it's, I've got a doctorate, you know, you, you don't know so much. And in fact, when it comes to angling, as you know, the opposite is completely true. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. you need to. Um, and, and like, like I'm, I'm kind of like, I got, I got hooked up on, on shark angling maybe similar that that component was of a science and and tagging program was there as well and uh again uh regular listeners to my podcast they they heard all the stories uh, here and there about my uh shark fishing but this episode is dedicated to blue sharks so i'm kind of feel you know i give myself uh, leeway you know just gonna repeat all of that if there's uh, someone who listens to that didn't listen to previous episodes um I moved to Ireland like 12, 13 years ago at this stage. And I remember sitting in the kitchen with, uh, I think, Irish Angler magazine. And it was an article about shark fishing, about blue sharks. And I read like, I couldn't believe it. Like, yes, I'm, I'm there. And it took me, you know, probably three weeks to book a, a, a shark fishing trip. And like you said, the, you know, like, wow, this massive fish. Like yeah. it's a big, it's a proper big game fishing that you can do like at your doorstep. And, and then, you know, from one trip to another, and then um, 
I was uh, with uh, Skipper uh, Luke Aston, and and I have an episode with Luke Aston. I don't remember which number is it. And he is pr- he he was and he is uh, uh, part of this tagging program. And when you take a measurement, your fork length of the shark, the full length, the girth, the, you can estimate the weight based on, based on that, and you tag the fish. It was like, whoa, this is so cool. And I I literally for two two and a half years like went mad. Uh, I was doing probably over 10 trips in a season. So if you take like season for me, like I, like I t- said at the top of the show, lasts from early uh, July till probably middle end of to- October. So 10 trips a year is, is being there at the sea every single weekend effectively (laughs) so that is like well what you what you're doing like how much does it cost you and obviously once you go that path then you don't necessarily want to have a crew of random people you just select your two trusted buddies so you're sharing your your charter instead like usually between you know six eight people you're sharing that between two or three because you know everybody you need to get a crack at the at the shark it's it was fantastic ride for me and and that aspect of tagging was great so that's that i i'm taking that this is similar uh for you except you took that one or two steps further because then you proceed to actually do some research and gather that data and 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 process them yeah i, I mean i um, the Irish has a fantastic tagging program, and in many ways, they were an inspiration for what I do. Um, the Irish data feeds directly into ICAT, um, which then informs their stock models. And angler data is better than than commercial data any day of the week. We're motivated to provide good data. You have an effort component of it. You know, you know how long you're going to be fishing for. You know, I mean, I've got records from my own boat at the minute. But even if you say catch per trip, you know, it's still something you can fit into your models very easily. And I realised that we weren't doing it. And through the Shark Angling Club of Great Britain, um, through their fantastic records, we managed to piece together a time series going back to the 1950s and with over 100,000 sharks listed with effort data. And I promised to the – we also got other skippers involved – my promise to them was I would not use the data without their express consent every time. Um, so everything we do, we ask them. Um, I put their names on these scientific papers that we produced, and I would use the data to actually help protect the species. And I didn't go through DEFRA or CFAS. I just submitted it directly to ICAT, much to the annoyance of DEFRA and CFAS. But it was, it was inspired by the Irish programme. The Irish programme was excellent. No, um, I'm, I'm glad I'm glad to hear that uh, because I I heard before opinions that um, those those uh, this data is just gathered for data sake. There's not used for anything and and stuff like that. And obviously, as you can imagine, this goes on the heels of discussion. Um, you know, should we be catching them? And you know, this is—is is it worthy? And you know, leave them alone because the stocks are are uh, under pressure and 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 all that. So tell me how how from the data that you you see, you gather, you process, how does the situation of the uh, sharks, blue shark stocks specifically? Uh, looks like but you 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 know if you have any data on other species of sharks and you know by all means feel free to 
I mean, it's the way they do their stock assessments, especially with a creature that, you know, may be off the coast of Africa in three months' time, um, may not always come here again. I, I will put a caveat to that. It's very difficult to know what the worldwide stocks are like, but the data we use feeds into the models. But I would say in the southwest of the UK and the Celtic Deeps, there are probably more blue sharks than there ever have been. I mean, the numbers are astronomical. I mean, one of the... One of the well-known skippers caught 100 sharks in a day. Can you get your head around that? Was it was it like a, a angling skipper or was it? Yeah, he was an angling skipper. Yeah, 100 yeah. a day. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. How many people better. on the boat? Oh, not many. Four. I mean, it was constant. But you know, I've done four. I've done 53 in a slightly longer day, um, but most of them were pups. To be honest, oh. most of them were sort of you know the the little the little rats we call them. That was that was my next next thing that their arms must be sore after. Getting yeah, food. yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I mean, but you know, I've seen. There's also our fishery and the Irish fishery. If you look at the data, was dominated by female fish. Uh, most of our fish were immature. Um, blue sharks are quite cunning. They um, because mating's so brutal, they separate by sex. And there's also so the male fish have a lower temperature tolerance, so they tend to stay in warmer water. Um, if you go to the coast off America and the Gulf Stream, it's dominated by males. But over here, historically, it's been sort of 90%, 95% females. And probably 90% of them are immature. What we've noticed is, A, the numbers of sharks have gone very you know, far, far higher than I've ever seen. Um, I mean, you know, one, one year we averaged, for a lot of trips, we averaged 20 sharks a trip. Um, from Plymouth, and you know that's over a whole season. Um, yeah, there was a lot of small fish, but we also had a lot of very big fish. You know, I would say that the numbers of sharks reaching the UK is very, very high. Now, whether that is due to the stock is doing incredibly well, or whether it's because the fish have moved, you really need to accumulate it with the other data, and that's what I can't do. They feed it into their computer models. Um, I, but you know, I, I would say they're definitely not at an all-time low. And, and, you know, there may be a lot of reasons for that. Um, stocks of other sharks have reduced by up to 70% in the last 50 years. Um, things like the mako were a major predator on young blue sharks. You know, it's yeah. possible the mako decline may have led to an increase in youngsters. Yeah, I read that, uh, and I think that was specifically about the uh, Shark Angling Club of Britain, that uh, they were these... these uh, a competition for shark fishing competitions they were mainly mako and and blue shark were treated like a you know bycatch that was like oh another blue shark because they were after mako is that is that was yeah. is that what was going on um yeah but mako have been very rare in the uk i think there's been about 90 ever caught in the uk total um, like historically as well yeah yeah over the years they were a, oh. a rare visitor but the areas where um the blue sharks mate, which is thought to be between the Azores and the Grand Banks, the Mako tagging data from the Mako has indicated they're in the same place at the same time. So these big Mako were going there for a reason. You know, you, you would imagine it was probably to prey on juvenile blues. I mean, blues produce a lot of pups. I mean, the average blue will produce something like 25 pups a go. Wow. Up to 125. So... You know, uh, the blue shark population can recover very quickly. If you compare that to the poor beagle, which is three, three pups, and they yeah. probably, you know, probably skip a year, your recovery is always going to be slower. 
But I will say we've seen more, you know, there have been more threshers about than I've ever ever known. Um, other sharks were probably, you know, poor beagles are starting to see the numbers creep back up again from a point of virtually not seeing them on the south coast. On the north coast is very different. They get very, very good numbers of poor beagles. And I know of Ireland, they get some as well. Mm, yeah, def- definitely. And listen, are your is is your interest from the from the um, scientific standpoint specifically on blue sharks, or are you in general looking at all the species of shark, including poor beagles and treasures and you know my, intro, possibly. My specific interest is blue sharks, and the reason is the data sets so big. Uh-huh. I, mean, I, I, I come from a, I come from a world of um, genomics, so I used to analyze DNA. That was my oh. thing. In the in the ocean, um, and I like big data sets. To me, I can do a lot with you know. The more I, I've never heard anyone. Uh, you very rarely hear in science somebody saying you can't get enough data. Now, blue sharks, I've got hundred thousand fish to work with. Um, I can get a lot of environmental data. I can tie it in. I can model it. It's an easy shark for me to work on. But the Shark Angling Club of Great Britain have records on other sharks as well. Some of my other contributing skippers have records and other sharks. And whether I get round to it or whether I, a colleague of mine earns the trust of the, ang- of the anglers and gets round to it, it's there. Yeah, and that's yeah. one of the things. I want to make sure the data is there. Um, it's now all in a, thanks to John, John McMasters, who's helped hugely, and other members of the Shark Angling Club, the data is now in digital form. Yes. Or it was actually in a book that is holding my computer up at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and and listen, is that is that what became your job? Or are you still doing this as a as a hobby, as a kind of like oh, a passion? I just do it for fun. I mean, I don't get paid for this stuff. Um, you know, I'm I, I'm a consultant at the moment and I do this stuff because I enjoy doing it. Um and, and there's also it, it not having a university or anything else involved makes it easier for me to work with skippers in the way I like. I'm not bound by the same rules. Um, by the way I work, my ethical considerations, you know, I'm not banging a tag into a fish. No, you know, skippers do tag as part of other um, as part of other programs. I mean, I very much like to get the sort of data you talked about, more the length data. I mean, I'd, you know, t- you know length, length and age are correlated. I'd like to get the length data. There's a lot you can do with it. Um, it's very valuable. I, I've got some. I've got some from various tagging programs. I don't tend to take the sharks out of the water if I can possibly do it. Other skippers do, but you know, I, I would. There's other data I'd like to get because I've got a I've got a purpose for it. Um, and as you say, you know, a lot of people say that oh, we're well, just collecting data for data's sake. But you know, I'm, the, the data we collect is for a specific purpose. You know, it fits into my models. I get other data about the health of the stock, and it all feeds into the people who actually set the total uh, label catch for the species. So commercially, I, I mean, for me, it's a win-win. I mean, it's all, in all our interest to have more sharks around here. And anglers are the only people who can collect this data. You know, you, 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 there is nobody else who can do this to this standard. You know, if if, if, if you want to know if a species is threatened, um, yeah, you can leave it alone, but then how do you know it's recovered? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, 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 and like you said, like you, like you said, like anglers are the ones who are actually out there yeah. tagging those fish and releasing them back back to the water. Uh, nobody else does it. Like, I, you know, maybe there are some 
I, I, I had a, a few podcasts with with people from the program called C Monitor, oh, where yeah. there is where there, there is a component of you know uh, these um, uh, catching and tagging and stuff like that. But anglers are kind of doing that organically, yeah. you know, at 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 such and other thing is that and you can confirm that or 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 uh, you know kind of debunk that really majority of recaptures are really commercial recaptures yeah. so so effectively uh majority of fish tagged uh, once they're recaptured they're dead um mostly i mean i have had one of the fish that was captured at a loo and tagged was recaptured three times by longliners so oh. they released it <laughs> it was a particularly stupid blue shark, but they released it. And it um, I, I, mean, I mean, you do get them, you know, any species. I mean, I, I once caught the same blue shark three times in one day. Oh, <laughs> It was a youngster. Literally, we caught it, put it back. It took another bait and let it go, and it came back again. Um, it had a, a mackerel hook in the corner of its mouth, and the third time I just took the hook out and chugged it away. But, yeah, uh, I, I mean, virtually all of the shark recaptures we, the, from the Lou program um, were uh, long lines. Yeah, and this is super, you know, this is, this is uh, uh, like, because when you recapture fish, like you said, like one day, it really indicates that that fish is not too bothered by being captured. You see that with pike fishing, you 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 kind of recap can recapture one pike in a time span of twenty minutes. So, would that be indicative that really you you don't yeah like the recovery rate is high or or to to put the other words that you're not really causing that much harm to fish if you're if you catch them and and then release provided of course proper handling. Yep, and we know uh, if they like. I let you elaborate that because I think there's no no. Uh, this is a thing that the 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 more th- times we repeat that how to handle shark properly, the better. And especially in this episode, where it's dedicated to sharks. Yeah, um, I mean the evidence is if you do it right, if you handle a blue shark right, you use the right equipment. I mean, I circle hooks for me would be man, you know, would be something or a hook that hooks in the corner of the mouth. If you gut hook a shark, properly gut hook it, you probably killed it. Um, but the evidence is that if a blue shark is handled properly, the recovery rate is fantastic. You know, it's it's not if you if you mishandle them, the recovery rate can be very bad. That you know, you you've seen plenty of blue sharks, you know they are a, a skinny fish as a rule. Um, they have no rib cage, their internal organs are I, they, they don't tend to jump a lot, not like a mako, you know, something like that. They're, they're a bit of a sort of long, thin, slightly flabby shark, but they have very little protection in certain areas. So, you know, if you haul a fish by a leader over a gunnel, over a piece of metal at right angles, you could well damage that fish. Whereas, you know, if you release it in the water or you have a method for getting it through the doors and things like that, you know, the evidence is the recovery rate is great. Um that's that's what I'd say. I mean, handling is really, really important. They're not indestructible, um, you know, that because they're sharks. That if you handle them right, it's brilliant, absolutely fantastic. I mean, part of what we do um, through the Shark Club and the um, Sport Angling Club of Great Britain is promote a handling guide, and it goes from all stuff from sort of the tackle you should use up to you know 
hooks and that sort of thing and how you should treat a shark. Um, and it's very, you know, it's an important message. Uh, if we mishandle them and there, you see some cases on the internet and you think, oh my, you know, on Facebook and stuff and you think, oh my God, you know, you're giving ammunition to those who want to ban angling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> do, you, do, you, do you see that? Do you see the raise of that sentiment? It, it depends. Um, I, I mean, you know, there are some conservation groups who are very keen to work with anglers. Now, we may disagree on particular um, particular issues, but they see the merit of what we do. Um, you know, and, and it's a, you know, it's it depends on the group. Now, some groups are always going to be against angling, and yeah, that's that's under, you, you can understand why people might think that. You know, I don't agree with it. I fished all my life. But, you know, I, I'm not necessarily going you know, to hate somebody because they disagree with me. But, you know, I, I think conservationists need to have a more pragmatic approach. I mean, back in the old days, I mean, if you read Steinbeck's um, log from the Sea of Cortez, you know, it's, um, marine biologists used to eat turtles at night. You know, they were intrinsically involved. They had that connection with the sea. They had the connection with the people who work with the sea. And to me, that's really important. It's something we sort of go away from. Um, you know, as, as I said, you know, these we are ignoring experts. <laughs> you know, you're ignoring. If you talk to a shark skipper, any shark skipper, you know, if, if whoever I talk to, I will learn something. Yes. And it's how you capture that knowledge. And for me, that is, you know, you can be do all you like in the lab, and you can come all these great theories. If you don't talk to the people who actually know, you're wasting an awful lot of effort. Yeah, and 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 I, I I agree. And the knowledge some of those people have is absolutely fantastic. Um, listen, Simon, I fe- feel like we opened number of threads and we never finished any of them. So let's finish <laughs> one of them. And uh, can you give us a guideline on tackle? What tackle to use? Uh, and then once you use that tackle how to properly boat a fish and when not to boat a fish. And because, you know, you, you mentioned specifically, you mentioned like if they have a door and they have a platform, the reality is that very few, uh, you know, both angling boats privately owned as well as the charter boats have doors or platforms or anything like that. So, If you could, if you could just give us yeah, this sure. no nonsense guide on tackle and then handling boating, releasing best practices for blue sharks. Yeah, I, I mean, with tackle, I'm slightly more relaxed than some. I just say use use tackle that's suitable for the size of fish you're going to get. Um, obviously, use a, a wire trace. I mean, I I've got a particular setup I use. I don't use wire all the way through. I use six foot of wire. Then I've got um, 18 foot of mono. Other use wire all the way through. The reason I don't use wire all the way through is, A, it's a pain to glove when you're the wire man. And also, if a shark wraps all the way around, if he gets onto the mono, and you quite often they'll spin off the top. I've seen him spin off the top. If then he bites through the main line, if you've got wire wrapped around him, that shark's probably not going to survive. Whereas a blue can turn on itself, and I've seen them do it. They can turn back and sort of cut themselves loose. And, I've, you know, I've caught but that... That's a personal thing. That's not something that um, I would say always use the suitable wire. For me, circle hooks are a no-brainer. A, they work better. I mean, you know, I very, you know, I probably over a season, once a hook is in properly, I might lose one or two fish. 
Mm. Is that different? Do you uh, strike differently into a fish with yeah. a circle foot? Are you waiting longer or you? No, I, hit them, I hit them as soon as that ratchet's going and they're taking line steadily. I literally put it in the gear, slide the, slide the gear forward. You got a lever drag, set your clutch, whatever, hold the rod, never strike. Just watch, wait until he's taking line and he's on there. Simple as that. Um, and for the close-in rod, I actually set the, the rod in gear with enough drag so the, you know, the rod doesn't go over the side, so instant hook up. And I've actually changed my hook slightly. I, I used to use must, the mustard standard, um, mustard 15 O's, and I've dropped to a finer wire, smaller hook, by talking to other skippers. Um, and I've actually got some of the used not gut hook them on circles but used to catch at the back of the mouth so it was a pain to get them out and i found by using these finer wire hooks virtually all of them are actually snug in the corner of the mouth um that would be my number one thing i'm you know i mean people do catch sharks on stupid light gear and that's fine if you're experienced but you know i would say you know if, if you're doing it for the first time first of all talk to a skipper who knows what they're talking about don't go you know don't use silly like gear don't play a fish for you know you, you don't want to be playing a blue shark for an hour you know I, I, the most i've ever seen a blue shark play for was 45 minutes and that was a 215 pound male so you know that was just a sea creature um you know the, the, it's not a you know you're not judged as an angler on a, you know how long it takes you to boat a fish it's not a good thing that it took you time use gear so you can get that fish into the you know beside the boat as quickly as you can um don't blue sharks wrap I don't, you know you, you've probably seen it yourself wrap um it tends to happen more on rough days and with inexperienced anglers so try and be steady when you're pumping don't give them slack line or they'll wrap um if they wrap you'll know it instantly and you know you, you pull them in backwards not the best thing for the sharks but fortunately blue sharks are less susceptible to that than something like a, a thresher um, I mean, I all my hooks are barbless. I crush the barb, a pair of pliers. Um, I mean, I yeah, I, none of this leaving it to the second run and that sort of thing. You know, as soon as that, as soon as that fish is going steadily, he's got the bait. You know, they uh, they they you know, it's not like they're going to you know, a bit like pike. You know, what well, pike are a bit different. They? They'll take a bait, they'll take it off, and then they eat it. The blues, in my experience, you know, you can hook them pretty quickly. Um, I mean, a blue shark's a dangerous animal. I know people who've been bitten. So one of the most important things, you know, wear gloves if you're going to leader it. Um, I unhook in the water. I either use a large T-bar or I use, um, we've got a pole we got from the States with sort of that funny-shaped little pig's tail on the end of it. Um, that works okay. If um, if you want to bring them on board, make sure you support the internal organs. So don't just sort of grab the trace and pull it over. If you've got a way of doing it and it's going to take two of you, you know you need to find a way of getting it on board where you support the middle part of it. You know that that is very important. Um, you can do it easier from a door because you can put like a mat down and slide them in. Um, if you know if you've got two of you, lift them. There are really good instructions on the Shark Anchor, the Shark Trust site about this, That's about right. how to bring fish on board. Um, never put them on a hot deck. You know, hose down the deck. Preferably have a mat 
Um, I cover their eyes. So I put a damp cloth over their eyes. It seems to calm them down. Um, a lot of people do um, induce them into some sort of almost trance by touching their nose. Don't go near the nose end. There's some really important bits there that they used to find prey. Don't piss with them like that. It's, it's not a good That's idea. That's a sharp end also of the sharp. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, obviously avoid the sharp end. Um, blue sharks are squirmers, so beware of that. Um, I, If I had a deck hose that wasn't, you know, it wasn't a torrent, I would probably put the hose into its mouth to run water over its gills. Um you can either take if you can't see the hook, don't be a don't be a vet, don't be a surgeon. Just chop it as close as you can, the wire as close as you can. That would be my opinion. Don't go through the gills. There are too many sensitive bits there. You know, if yeah. you hit something and it bleeds, you've very likely killed that fish. Um, try not to keep it out of the water too long. I would suggest if you want to take photographs, kneel, and you are bringing them on board, kneel beside the fish rather than get people to lift it. It's a hell of a lot easier. I mean, you know, I've seen, you can see some pictures when people are lifting these fish and you'll see marks where they're actually bruised from damage. You know, that yeah. fish may recover, it may not, but, you know, my advice would be kneel beside the fish, get somebody to take a photograph if you bring them on board. I say, personally, I don't. Um, we don't have a door on our boat. Um, it's probably easier in a private boat because you're lower down, or with a boat with a door. Um, I, I mean, that's my you know that's my advice, and that's what the tagging data tended to, to suggest. I say the one big no: don't lever them by the trace over the side of a, a large metal bar. You want to try it yourself. I mean, I've done it trying to unhook a shark. I broke three ribs. Huh. Now, sharks haven't got ribs. Yeah. <laughs> if I didn't have three ribs, I probably would have done some serious damage. So bear that in mind. You can easily damage a fish. They're not indestructible. Yeah. Um, yeah. But we treat them right. The evidence is fantastic. You know, we get fantastic rates of recovery. Yeah. And from your experience, charter skippers, and I, I know you, you, you probably don't want to get on the wrong side of charter skippers, but do you see there them uh, usually sticking to those practices or... Or is it more of a, you know, like I, I need to get it fish quickly to the boat and, you know, get the customers, you know, take a photo. And at the end of the day, it's their fish. So therefore they can do whatever they want. And, you know, there's also always this argument like, oh, it's, you know, at least we release it. So it has done zero chance of uh, recovery. While if we, you know, kill the fish and, and take it for steaks or whatever that is, then <laughs> the chance of recovery is zero. I mean, I you know I am qualified as a chart skipper. I can um, I can understand there are commercial reasons why you would you know and there's a lot of pressure from customers to bring fish on board. Um, I totally understand it. I mean, I think the majority of skippers treats sharks extremely well, mm. and I think even those who pick them up for photographs, you know, they're very experienced. They do it in the best way they can. As I say, my my preference is not to do it that way. I'm very loathe to you know say to a skipper be prescriptive don't do something um i think things will change i think with the advent of the gopro you get fantastic pictures in the water you know you get stunning pictures in the water but i do understand you know if somebody's paid for a boat and they want to take a picture of a shot I, I do understand why skippers do it um you know and i think that the best we can do is to have guidelines 
um, talk to skippers, understand their concerns. And you know, if we increase their, their handling by a bit, that's something. Yeah. You know, you still aren't going to, you know, I, I, we, we want to put fish back. It's everyone's interest with a maximum chance to uh, survive. Yeah. Um, but, and yeah. I also think that they have so much experience that they're sometimes doing things that you, you know, you don't even think of doing and they're they're, yeah. they're just yeah. know what they're doing and yeah. uh if if the same maneuver let's say with a shark was attempted by you know angler who sees you know five sharks in the year Definitely. that would be quite different thing than done by a person who does like five sharks a day for a season and they know those little things and they you know that's that's what i why i think yeah, as well. yeah, yeah definitely and, and i think you're dead right there i think there are um i think small boat owners there's some fantastic ones out there there's some that go out there a lot catch a lot of sharks but there are others who think you know they go out there they want their trophy picture they haven't got the experience with it i mean you know like i say talk to a skipper look at the guidelines there are guidelines on the shark angling club of great britain's page there are guidelines on the Shark Trust's page for how to handle fish. Just think about it. But also think about it for your own safety. I mean, you know, if you get too near, you know, I know somebody who was bitten by a shark and was airlifted off to hospital. Exactly. With a blood I, think, I think it was in, I don't know, it was, I'm sure that there was a case like that in Ireland. I was where, there. I know somebody in, in who, from Wales. Yeah. So there was more than once that, yeah. that, that, that the teeth and like, I don't, definitely don't recommend to do that, but I did touch the teeth of the shark, and it's like unbelievable how it's like kind of like a uh, like a like a like a china almost very very hard material, and and if the shark starts to, uh, thrashing about on the boat and and cut your one of your your veins or arteries or like major major uh, blood. Uh, um, part in your in your body, then you effectively can bleed out, and you, this is yeah. this can be potentially very very dangerous. So I don't want to scare people, scare no, off no, like no. oh, it's a very dangerous thing to go shark fishing. It's probably not, but no, still, no. you know, it's it's a little bit like like cutting wood with a chainsaw. You, it's not that dangerous, but you can get seriously hurt. And I think it's the same thing with blue sharks. Well, with yeah, sharks I, I, in general. I mean, I can tell you a story. I mean, you know, out of the fish that I've leaded, I've never been bitten. But one day I got complacent. There was a small blue. Um, the, the circle hook was in a slightly difficult place. I was trying to T-bar her off in the water. As I raised my hand, the shark came with me and landed on my shoulder. first. <laughs> now, as it happens, it didn't have time to bite me, but it very easily could. And, you know, that is just me being complacent. You know, I'd seen... 20, 30 sharks that day. It was a pup. I was just not thinking. I did something dumb, and I nearly paid for it. Um, yeah, there is not a lot of people who get, you know, bitten by them, but beware, you know, wear gauntlets. Have the, Always have your tackle for removing your hooks. Have everything set up. That's another thing I'd definitely say. I mean, I, you know, I've got bolt cutters for chopping the hook in half if I have to, wire cutters, two, you know, two or three sets of T-bars, all the things you need, gloves, everything, have them to hand. Don't make it like a rush to do once that fish is there. You know, especially if you're inexperienced, you're like, oh, my God, i got this fish. And get to the side of the boat. And the same if you want to take a picture. 
have your camera equipment ready. You know, don't make it, try and minimize the amount of time you've got to expose the shark to, you know, <laughs> to an environment it doesn't want to be in. Um, you know, don't take a fish out of the water for 15 minutes, you know, don't do dumb things with them. As I say, my preference is to leave them in the water, but I'm not, you know, I'm not prescriptive on that. There are, you know, there are some skippers who from tagging returns have fa fantastic um, tag return rates who do bring the sharks out of the water. Um, I mean, most of them have doors. They're very experienced. Um, my experience with skippers is if you, you talk to them, you can modify their behavior. If you start to be prescriptive, then, you know, yeah. you've got to do this. Um, yeah, it's but it's also work. kind of like what we work. said. Yeah, but it's also like we said, like you know, ultimately it's your fish, and a lot of skippers are, you know, want to make you uh, happy, and then it's entirely up to you to say, like, hey, but I want this fish to be handled best possibly, you know, to the best standard, and if you think that it shouldn't be breathed in the water, don't bring it out of the water. And I think that there's no skipper who would say like, no, no, I have to bring it back out of the water or anything like that. No, no, no I, I don't know of any. I mean, you know, from the boat I worked on, Mirage at Plymouth, Dave was employed by the university. I was working for Plymouth Marine Laboratories at the time. You know, we had, if we brought fish out of the water, um, it probably could have affected us professionally as well you know it would have respect, reflected badly on us professionally um so you know we made it very clear to customers that that's how we operated i mean saying that i brought fish out of the water because they've been tangled really badly um you know there are circumstances where you've got to do it you know if you think look at a fish and you think oh my god that fish isn't going to survive and i'm not going to cut all that stuff off it then cut all the stuff off it you know it's You know, again, if you're going to bring them on board, you know, there's some things to do. Don't put them on a hot deck, as I said before. That You can see the damage. You know, you'll turn a shark over, it would have changed color. Mm. Um, yeah. You know, it's got very important things up its nose. Don't, you know, for hunting, um, its tail's very important. But, you know, mainly avoid trying to damage the middle sections. You know, internal injuries to sharks. They'll swim well fine, but they'll die in three or four days. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's how do you call like, how do you call those organs on the on the nose of the shark? I, I, uh, the ampoule of Lorenzini. Oh uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. Lorenzini um, ampoules. Yes. Yes. Okay, uh, Simon. So now, just just to stay on the realm of angling, um, when you're fishing for blue sharks, you're really you're really effectively baiting sharks to your boat by yeah. setting up that slick and like, what's your preferred optimum uh, robby dobby uh, composition and are you are you are you different you're using different ones depending on the time of the year or or a place where you fish or you have pretty much a standard um, my my absolute favorite would probably be fresh sardine oh chopped and mushed if i could get a hold of it which we can at times um pollock livers Uh, there's a very good reason for using pollock livers. If you mash them up, uh, they start to degrade the flesh. The enzymes in them start to degrade the flesh of the um, sardine a bit just to reduce a bit more flavor. Um, oil, good quality, good quality pilchard oil uh, and bran. Uh, and the other trick I would say, if you've got a day when it's wind against tide and your slick's very shallow, so, you know, in effect, you've got, you know, your slick is going away from you quite shallow, 
or add things like halibut pellets to it. Oh. Um, but good quality pilchard oil or good quality fish oil, um, I think is quite important. But, you know, the, the trouble with it, if it's not not mixed in with other stuff, you'll see a lovely slick on the surface, but of course, because oil and water is particularly miscible, it will be exactly that. It won't actually be where the fish can detect it. Yeah. That, that would be my absolute favourite. I mean, you know, the, the thing, I've tried all sorts of nonsense over the years. Um, I, yeah. I, Pig's blood to me is just a waste of time. It just doesn't do anything. It doesn't. I don't think it works. I don't think. Yeah, it, I, I, I tried myself uh, dried blood, and I, I yeah, yeah, we used all that. I'm, I mean, I did have a supply of dried sardine blood, which I can't oh. possibly tell you where I got it from, um, which was absolutely <laughs> amazing. Um, but you know, I only had a limited supply of that. It was fantastic, but yeah, I, I think you know these blue sharks don't tend to detect mammal blood you know it's a different exactly exactly this is an important thing like it's it's <laughs> they're not feeding on seals they're, yeah, they're feeding I'm, on other fish i'm very particular about changing the bags um depending on how the day is going i will change the bags more frequently or less frequently um some days sharks respond to a huge amounts of chum other days you need to cut it down a little bit. I would say. Hmm. Um, I very much Why would you it. cut it down? Um, I say, well, as soon as I, you know, if I've got twenty or thirty sharks in my slick, you know, and they're going nuts, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't need. They're already doing what I want. Um, I don't need to cut it down. Um, other days when you're sitting in your own slick, I mean that's. You, I, I strongly, if you've got no wind and you're just sitting, you'll see the slip go right around the boat. You watch a shark, it's confused. Uh, you watch a shark come over a narrow slip, well, zigzag like that. They're trying to define the ends, the edges of the slip to try and locate where it's coming from. If you're sitting there on a calm day and you've got this slip going around the boat, it confuses them. I honestly think it overloads their senses and they can't really work out where it's coming from. So on days like that, I don't think it pays to put a huge amount of, of um, stuff in the water. I mean, there are other ways around it. You can start the motor and just very slowly edge across the tide, trying to get that slick away from the boat on them yeah. calm days. But sharks on calm days tend to be lethargic anyway. Um, it's difficult, but I tend to cut down on the amount of slick I, I put I put in the water on those yeah. days. What would what would, in your opinion, be the optimal speed of drift for? Uh, I don't think it matters. I mean, some of the best days I've had, I've been drifting north to south, half a knot. But my slick, because it's wind against tide, has been barreling away from me at probably you know, a knot and a half, two knots, something like that. Uh -huh. um, I think it's how much your slick travels is more important than your speed of drift for blues. Yeah. So if you think about it, if you blues tent around here, they'll go east to west, west to east. They don't tend to go north to south as much. So if you're going across the tide, north to south, you're covering more fish, in my opinion. Right, right. And is that your observation as well? That you said that in a nice day they're they're lethargic, but the nice, you know, they find a nice day. I found, and maybe you know, just a bias that when the, when there's a sunny day, but with a bit of wind, that tends to be the best weather. Um. Yeah. I, I mean, I I would say I've had some of my best catches when I can barely stand up and. Um, you know, oh, really? I've been, it's like being shot by the rain. But, yeah, I mean, my preference would be, I mean, I can see them easier, 
My preference would be something like a three to four, you know, three to four breeze. Doesn't matter as long as it's not northwesterly, it doesn't matter uh, around here. Easterly's fine with the tide going against me and just enough so I'm actually not going, you know, I'm not standing still, but I'm sort of going across the tide. That would be my absolute preference. Um, I tend to, um, on days when my slick is shallow, because I've got those conditions, like I said, I'll add something like halibut pellet just to get some scent for a little bit further down because I feel it tends to stick too, you know, too far up in the water. Um, but, yeah, that would be my favourite, would be trickling across the tide. So I'm doing, a you know, half a knot, something like that, three quarters of a knot across the tide would be my absolute favourite. Um, as for Sunny, I think as long as you've got a chop, it's fine. Um, but not probably not too much chop because then then the slick will be kind of chopped I, as well. I, I, I've had some. But you say that you you had a great days with the you very good stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've had. I mean, we don't tend to fish, you know, because the distance we, you know, you, you're talking for consistent sharking out of here. You're talking twenty mile normally. Some years they come closer. Um, but, you know, for really consistent sharking, we're talking 20-odd miles. So you are restricted in the number of days you can do that. Um, mm. But, yeah. <laughs> and and listen, and you also, so you, you said you're using brand to kind of carry the the uh, slick and the scent down to the yeah, water column. Them, yeah. And then when, you, when you're hanging, so then obviously you're using, for a bait, using mackerel, I presume, like everybody else. Mackerel, whiting. Whiting's a fantastic blue shark bait. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. I, Some of my biggest fish have been on whiting. Oh, that's interesting. I never use whiting. I yeah, no, always, you ever, if, if you mackerel. get them, it's, it's worth trying. Um, I presume it's because they've probably been scavenging from the trawlers, so they've probably got a taste for it. You know? Ah, <laughs> that's okay. interesting. That's interesting. But yeah, no, it's, it's it's a it's a good info because actually I know that on 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 the grounds when when I fish more often for blue sharks, you know, catching whiting is kind of like a way how you passing yeah. time while you're waiting for for sharks. So that's a good tip. You can use that. You can use that whiting. And listen, I presume then also. You and I hope, like a lot of people who listen to that, will will get that information. You use are you like fishing a number of rods, and you tend to put your bait on a different depth on each rod, yep. or do you have like a yes? That's what you do. Yeah, um, I mean, I tend to put the furthest away rod down deep. Um, often it stays untouched all day. It tends to be, you know, if we're going to get a poor big, that might be on it. But there are some days. When feeds, I presume, feeds in small, you know, short supply, where we will catch numbers of blues on the deepest rod. Um, I mean, if I was just fishing for blues, I'd probably go out a rod at 100, um, uh, yeah, sort of 80, what, the next one in 80, next one in 40 or 20, depending on the day. Again, depending on the angle of drift, you know, how much fast you're going away from the boat. And the the nearest rod would be close to the boat with just the leader out of sight. That's what I'd have. Uh, I would say the vast majority of blue sharks you will catch will be on the shallower rods. Yes. Did you ever have a situation where the, where the shark like took one bait and then before and oh, you know yeah. it, it took another one and then you all of a sudden you have a two rods hooked into one fish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had that before. <laughs> yeah, and that's, that's never fun. I mean, we have like, double hookups are fine. Triple hookups start to get diff difficult. 
four at a time is an absolute horror story because you know what they're going to do. They're all going to go like that. You know, they're not going to go be nice sharks and go in different, you know, in different mm-hmm. directions. They have to go cross each other. Um, but yeah, I've had the same shark take two hooks. I don't think I've ever had the same t- shark take one, um, three hooks. But yeah, it's quite a common occurrence. Um, oh. it, it, it's easier to see if you've got a weight. I mean, some days I'll use a weight down the line, some days I won't. Again, it depends on how much that drift is sort of pulling away and what depth yeah. I want to bait the fish. But some of the skippers I know catch very good numbers of big fish. They have an unweighted outside rod, so it'll be set really deep, but it won't have a weight on it. And on the days when you've got a lot of pull away, that, that won't be fishing deep. It'll just be fishing a long way away from the boat. Um, and uh, there are certainly occasions where very big blues are reluctant to come close to the boat. So you might just sneak one. Um, yeah, there are all sorts of tricks you use. Um, I probably move the baits a lot more than other people. So I will actually pull in by hand an amount of line. It's a bit like trying to tease a cat. If I know there's oh. a shark in a slick, one shark in a slick can be hellish difficult to catch. Two, fairly easy. There's 10 sharks in your slick. They'll go nuts. The it's a feeding frenzy. If I know I've got a shark in a slick, I will start moving baits. I will change my baits. How do you know? How do you know? You you know because you see the fin, or you know because yeah. you you see the activity on the rod. You well, you know things like gulls taking off in a pattern. You'll see one gull take off. It's next one. You know the movement they're doing. Um, you'll see. You'll catch a flash of one out of the corner of your eye. And, you know, it's, it's quite cool when you're crewing because you'll, you know, you'll see a shark slap the outside float with his tail, and you'll say, "I'll just turn around to the bloke and say you're about to get a bite on that rod, mate." And the reel will go, and they'll think, "Oh, well, that's really brilliant." You know, he's some sort of genius. It's just like, no, I've just seen it happen so many times. I know what's going to happen. You know. Oh man, it, it all that conversation makes me want to go shark fishing. Again. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, just you know, the amount of time you spend out there, you get. You know, I, I, I love, I'm not one of these boats who go and sit in a cabin. I mean, myself, with Dave, who I work with, um, you know, we work really, really well together. Um, and I'll be on the deck the whole time. I'll be doing something the whole time I'm out there. I'll be looking for fish. I'll be changing bags. I'll be, you know, trying all different little bits, you know. Sometimes what I'll- I notice, what I notice, and, and I think that uh, a lot of people agree with that, that even if you're uh, fishing, like if you're if you're fishing on the ground there where there are other fish whiting and whatnot, that fishing also helps to attract the shark because because they they can sense the fish thrashing around as you as you pull them up. So even from that perspective, like why would you sit on the boat, sit in a in a cabin, or you know I know about the like a ger- group of German anglers who are coming year after year to Ireland and they go as far as bringing their oil mattresses. And they're putting mattresses on the engine cover and they're putting the baits out and they're <laughs> lying down the engine covers. Like, why would you do that? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, there's so much else people can see. I mean, you know, as a, as a biologist, you know, I point out other wildlife. Um, you know, we, we see whales regularly. We see dolphins most time we're out. Different seabirds, jellyfish, those cone jellies. You see all sorts of things you'd see. And if you talk to people about it, you know, they'll, they're actually – be a high degree of interest and you make their day my motto is make their day better if i can you know it's you know it, it's not just about the sharks it's about being out of sea we you know we love being out of sea don't we you know we, we, we do this 
we love catching fish, but you know, a bad day at sea, you know, you bite, you, know, you don't blank very often on blues, but you know, a bad day out there is still awesome, and you know, <laughs> <laughs> I agree. Yeah. You definitely right with vibration. I, I mean, I'll give you an example. Um, you know, it's all this stuff about you know how much blood in the water a blue shark can um, actually sense. It's about a drop in an Olympic-sized swimming pool would be about right. So it's it's they're pretty good, but you you think about the size of the ocean, you know, you're not you know you need quite a lot. Sharks though can hear from a long distance. And I mean here, they actually have an ear. Um, one of the things that I would inc- you know, definitely say, and a lot of skippers do it. I mean, one of the very old loo skippers didn't use chum at all. He just used three coconuts and a bit of string. So it used to go bonk 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 on the ocean. And that noise is really important. It, it, you can get a sh- you can get a shark to the boat. If you see a shark at the end of your slick, you want it to come closer. If you bang those bags, he'll come and have a look. Wow. And, and so that brings me to another question that I have for you. Um, have you used with any success any other ways of chumming or attracting sharks, uh, namely sound devices that are making sound? Uh, you know, you obviously mentioned coconuts or, or, or just just moving, but you can even buy like a, it's called like a shark yeah, magnet shark or, magnets, or what, yeah. shark yeah. magnet that makes sound. And then also there are devices that are emitting some sort of light, you know, like a flashlight or anything like that. Have you ever used them with any success? Any opinions on those? Um, I've used lights on the deep rods occasionally. Um, I can't say I've noticed it make any difference. Um, I, I have, I mean, I will say Muppets, above your trace, sharks love orange. Blue sharks, orange and yellow, absolutely adore it. Um, I haven't used any of those shark attractors. I know people who do. Sharks are very sensitive to low-frequency noise, so in theory it should work. Um, but, I, I mean, I found just you know banging you know if, if you bang a bag enough a it lets more and more chum into the water but also uh, you know it you know fish will come and investigate um by yeah i i would say there is some scope for it i mean i i have used other devices i've used a little device i came up with which is passive but produces a weak electrical current oh um which i didn't work of, uh, the first time I did it, it actually repelled sharks. <laughs> really, okay, not exactly, not exactly what you... you actually watched it. You brought it, but it, I had too many. Uh, I'd mucked it up slightly. The blue would come near it, go, oh my God, and run away. And I thought, okay, that one didn't work very well. I sort of adapted <laughs> it, and yeah, it works better. Um, I say, really, really good trick if you want to see a blue shark chase something. You know, those kiddies' noodles. No swimming noodles. Right, chop one up into sections. Uh, put a rope through the middle of it. Let it at the end of your slick when you've got a blue shark in it, and jig it back across the surface. You watch them go for that. They absolutely love it. Wow, that's that's also you know that's straight away things like you can you can try to uh, catch a shark kind of like on the spinning gear almost. Yeah, you could do it. Yeah, I'm, I mean I've seen a friend of mine caught one on fly gear. People do it quite regularly. On fly gear. Yeah, heavy fly gear. You can buy specialist over here. You can buy specialist fly gear. Um, wow. They use um, what? Do, what that would be that like in terms of you know rod rod rating? Oh and God, stuff. I, I, I was it like a sixteen rated whatever it is. You know, oh. they, you can actually buy. I mean, Rock Max sell 
a whole range of gear for that sort of thing. And and then you know the, there are skippers who are far more experienced in that than myself or Dave. But we have seen people catch them. The only thing I've never seen one take an unbaited fly. You've always got to have a little strip of mackerel on the end. But I'm sure there are very skillful fly anglers out there who can do it. You could definitely catch one on a lure if you wanted to. I'd say go orange or red. Um, I've had them oh. chase lures plenty of times. Really? Yeah, 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 you can get them, yeah. Normally, in my, one of my failed attempts to catch a stone bass that's in the slick. You know? Uh-huh. Yeah, oh, wow. But, yeah, which is something we used to see. Funny enough, we used to see more than um, we do now. It used to be quite common. You used to see a, they, they'd hide under the boat, and when you started the engine at the end of the day, you'd suddenly see a stone bass go, whoop, right like that. You know? Wow, wow. Yeah. So so you did use some some other devices. Listen, one thing, one other thing uh, on the on the gear, like what's your view or preference in terms of floats? Because I think that the conventional way is just use the balloon by, you know, like a pack of balloons. And this is this is what you use. But then as, as at least from my experience, number one, you need to kind of, tie that balloon to a line and then maybe when you're bringing back fish then that balloon probably you know not gonna untie that easily and then you either try to you know if you have a reel with uh with the guide um then you know you you have a problem with that um and then obviously balloon can you know either gull will per pierce it or something <laughs> and you'll end up in the water and you know sea turtles will die screaming while after yeah, eating that yeah. balloon oh, and so on so so what what's your you are you like firmly against using balloons like don't do it or it's like yeah it's one of the ways but it's not optimum way and and what's your certainly i never use balloons um i mean i came up with this quick release shark float years ago i've been selling it locally for about 10 years other people oh. now produce something very similar where 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 people can buy that float um, I mean, I I have sold them to people, just other skippers. Oh, I thought that you have like an online yeah, shop. Yeah, I, I think people like Mike Wallace and um, I'm trying to think name of the other bloke. They've got their own versions of quick release floats. Um, I mean, I'm you know, it's not my, you know, I've been using them for years. To be honest, um, my own, if, you know, if it's on my, my own boat, um, so you know, basically, they'll take it, the float will pop and run down the line. Um, I have a little swivel so I can actually take the float off so then you're straight on it, you know, that sort of thing. Um, the disadvantage, you've got to reset every time, but if you want to do it properly, I would just mark your line. So I literally put a marker pen at that depth so you can you know, let your line out to that depth, clip it straight back on, there you go. You know, that would be my favourite. Um, I don't like balloons for a number of reasons you mentioned I find it extremely annoying when dumb Fulmer puts his beak through it and then you have to reset because, but you know, most of my floats have got marks of honor on them. You know, they got years of either, either gull beak marks or actually where the sharks have grabbed them. Yeah. Oh, you, you know wow. what blues will do. They'll come up there, have a look. They, they, mm -hmm. they normally snap it with their tail, but yeah. if they see that, that fluorescent color, they'll come up and go, <laughs> oh, I've actually got a favourite float that's eight years old, and I still bring it out, and it just just about works. But it's got so many teeth marks in it. Now. It's a lucky float, I bet. It is. It's really <laughs> lucky float. Uh, 
how you prevent? Uh, how you minimize the entanglement with with uh, gulls and and birds? Because that's a, that's another annoying thing, right? You have a lines out, and you have all that sleek, and inevitably you have a whole flock of gulls, and then next thing you know. You have a goal tangled in your in your uh, line, and then you have to bring it back and reset. Untangled that pissed off bird, oh, which sometimes yeah. it's not uh, easy. I mean, I mean, I say it rarely happens with um, herring gulls. Fulmers are just so stupid. I mean, they'll repeatedly do it. You know, the, <laughs> you know, the same one will try it three or four times before they finally manage to actually, you know, entangle themselves. Um, I mean, the best answer is get a shark in the slick. Um, you know, most most of the time, <laughs> as soon as the shark. And though I've seen a fulmer eaten twice by a shark. Really? Um, yeah. I, I mean, most fulmers eventually will get the idea that you know this large creature with teeth coming near it is not a great idea but a couple of times i looked out the corner and i heard a squawk and half a gull floats away in the slick and there's a blue shark with feathers in his mouth seriously so, yeah i've seen wow. it twice. i've seen it twice um i've also seen i've seen one female blue shark kill a small male in the sl- in which we hooked um as we were going to unhook it uh, the female came and just bit it across the gills um, it wasn't a monster female either. It was only sort of 70, 80 pounds, something like that. Um, I mean, they definitely will. You know, w- once you've got sharks into it, you know, like I said, you've got 20 sharks in the slick. They, you know, they are just going for it. They are absolutely set. You know, we will eat absolutely anything. But it's, it's really funny because you watch one shark. I mean, I, you know, you, you will get occasions where it takes you um, an hour, an hour and a half to get that one shark to take on a, you know, on a slow day. But something as simple as dropping your wire size, you know, um, you know, if, you've, if you're using sort of one point, you know, with a four hundred pound, drop it to two hundred. I mean, a blue ain't going to go through two hundred, and the best of it. Um, I prefer dark wire. That's the other thing I'd say. Um, I, I do use clear wire. I think the AFW wire is the best out there. Um, yes. Absolutely. It it is absolutely brilliant because the other thing, it doesn't fracture into a million pieces. And then when I'm walking around the room later, I don't end up with bits of wire stuck in my foot. But it is it is the best wire. Um I'd say if you don't use that, the other trick is which I use is I buy the cheap stuff and I get some stainless steel colouring pens and I do like cryptic camouflage on my traces. So I have white, blue, black, you know, sort of just break the outline up. Um, because if you look underwater and you see your camera stuff, you know, the the clear stuff on a sunny day sticks out like a sore thumb. Uh, the dark stuff less, but you know, if you cryptic camouflage your traces, you know, that's yeah, that, yeah, no, that, that I, seems I, to work. Yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, American fishing wires. Um, I mean, the some of the biggest sharks I've seen have been hooked on my right hand. That's the other thing I'd say. They've been beside the boat, you know, and I've been literally. Yes, looking to get them. They'll take it out of my hand. I'll hold them <laughs> and I'll let the rod go. Yeah. Um, I had it once. I had it once while while fishing for for Pollock, and and I remember we had like a like a shark rod that just ah oh, just in case you never know. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you have this Pollock, and and you see the the shark. It actually, I don't remember now whether it grabbed it or attempted to grab. But we see this shark kind of cruising around the boat. So uh, quick, quick, quick! We put the 
fishing with shark rod and we didn't even manage to put the float or anything is that literally the moment that bait hit the water is like boom and you have a run it's like wow so that day we ticked like all the boxes all the possible species including a shark that we didn't target no, that's awesome that's that's fantastic yeah i mean i remember the probably the best year we had which was uh 2015 um you know we though the sharks are there early we don't i personally don't tend to think they're consistent enough until july to really worth going but we knew they were there because when we were conga fishing they were grabbing the tail of the conga <laughs> yeah i mean literally biting conga tails you know they were, and that was sort of mid-june something like that and you know suddenly what happened here it went heavy you get it in and there's a bite mark on the tail and you think it looks like a blue mm. and then you let your mackerel bait down and then disappear because the damn thing's bitten through the hook and you know you thought <laughs> i mean they are you know <laughs> they will definitely but you know you, your point about attracting them by uh fishing for other species is very valid you know yeah. uh, it, it's but it's one of them things as long as people are quick enough to get the damn gear out of the way when there's a run you know yes exactly <laughs> um, do you have any any techniques of uh selectively trying to catch bigger fish uh, and and obviously maybe that's also a good moment to uh, to say like uh, you know I'm kind of throwing out knowledge that I have and you can you know either debunk or confirm that really what fish that we have here is, like I, I mean around the British Isles we it's a juvenile fish you know you're not gonna get because they're grow what to 600 pounds like the well, ones that you're fishing like around Florida and coast and stuff like that. They grow to 400. I mean, the biggest one I've seen a picture of is um, one that Chippy had out of Penzance. That, and though the formula said was, I don't know, 260, it was a 300 pound fish every day of the week. You know, the formula that we use for blue sharks is just rubbish. It's just, no, it was based I on. Don't rem- I don't remember even that formula that yeah, you've got these yeah. three dimensions. But then you have a, like a uh, bracket, really, of weights. Yeah, yeah, it's it's not very accurate but i mean that was a massive fish um i believe there was there have been some of similar size called in the celtic deeps but the majority of fish you're right in saying are immature females mm-hmm. it's two, um, 200 and i think 209 pounds is the irish record I'm yeah i think 215 is the official british one but i mean not, we, we had a, a male that uh, you know i did it from photographs and various techniques knocked off a few inches here and there just to make it and it was around about 215 um so i know it, it was a, you know it was a huge fish it was a, a monster um but yeah that you i mean the the opening up of the celtic deeps and the penzance fishery you know has led to an increase i would say there have been some enormous fish caught down there um I don't know. They've always been there and we've just never really known about it or whether it is a real change. I will say some years you see mass, you know, much bigger blues than you'd expect. Um, you know, some days a hundred pounder, you know, you'd expect to get a fish around that size, which, but there are conversely, there's a lot more very small fish. If you look at the, um, if you look at the shark club records from years ago, you know, they even the old boys will tell you, you know, that most of the fish were sort of you know, 50, 60 pounds, something like that. I mean, we'll get days where a lot of our fish are 20 pounds, things like that. We call them pups. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, tips for big ones. It, it's it's really difficult. I'd say whiting, 
one of the things is a writing bait. Um, I mean, normally I'd say, you know, yeah, I've had a lot of, as I say, put a, put a bait away from a boat. Some of those big girls won't come close. But the very biggest fish I had, the two biggest fish I've had, have been right next to the boat. Um, the biggest one we had, I dropped, which is the weirdest thing, I dropped, we were getting plagued by pups. They all had bite marks on them, which so I knew there was a male there. Um, I dropped Andy Mansfield's bait into the water. It was grabbed by a 10-pound pup. Suddenly, this 10-pound pup went absolutely berserk. 45 minutes later, we've got this enormous male blue shark to the side of the boat. So I guess he must have actually muscled that pup off the bait. Huh. That's <laughs> but, interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, um, it's I mean, always it's like a, the biggest fish is always like a, the weirdest like coincidence never, happen, and then you get this like yeah. special catch. Absolutely not. I mean, it's one of them. You get to the side of the boat and you think, "Yeah, that's a lot bigger than I've ever seen before." You know, it was one of them moments. It's like when well, I made that, and that was you know people who say blue sharks don't fight have never seen a big male. Um, I mean, there's been some very big males caught down in Penzance and at Falmouth in the last year. Um, which again is unusual. We we haven't seen it, and that 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 reflects how changes in the environment change the sharks we get here. So, and we and we and we get in a second to that. I just I just want to finish off on the on an angling uh, front. Is there anything to that point that we missed that you would like to share or or repeat? No, I mean I know a lot of the some of the lads are now you know using toothbrushes and things like that. Um, as a sort of vibration or attractor. Oh. Um, people are uh, selling them. I mean, I've played around with them. People are selling their own devices. I mean, my experience with them is they, they seem to work better for pool beagles for some reason. But, you know, I, I wouldn't count them out. I think it's a good idea. Um, I mean, sharks, whether it's working by a true vibrational thing or whether it's actually that weak electrical current, um, I mean, when, when sharks are hunting live fish, they get close to them. You know, that is a very, very important part of their their hunting strategy. Yeah. So, you know, once you're inside the eyes, I mean, you, you know, if, if you watch a blue shark take a bait, it's quite strange, a dead bait. They're often sort of caught wheel around it a lot. And I don't know if that's because they're trying to work out exactly what it is because they can't detect that yeah. current coming off it. Um, you're right but yeah i think that's something that you know you could definitely use to get more bites on your particular rod i wouldn't say it's a way of getting more fish into your slick though um, yeah, yeah. A, a good slick and i'd say the use of sand would be my two tips sand sand oh sand, sorry you know you're actually making that noise i think that's oh i think and i mean the other thing you can do which works bizarrely um do sometimes turn the engine on. Sometimes if you, you know, if you know you've got fish in the slit, you turn the engine on. For some reason, they'll come and have a look. And I don't know it's whether that they associate that with a trawl being brought on board or, you know, things they, like my that. thought exactly. They could, they, they, that could be kind yeah, of the learning response. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So I think that the last thing that we need to uh, touch on is what ground, what, what, how would you, identify place where to set up slick and 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 drift you're you're you know on your on your webinar uh which is on uh angling trust website and i yep. encourage anyone to go and and check that webinar you mentioned 
uh, places where there's a different water salinity, as I remember. Yeah, it's, but it's, I, I guess like a regular anglers, they don't have uh, access to this sort of data. So what what tips would you say, like if someone has a boat and, you know, want to start or want to optimize their chances? First of all, I'd say water depth. Um, blue sharks don't like coming into shallow water, even though they may not dive deep, they tend to stay further away from the coast. Um, I mean, we will get them inside. Some years we get them quite close in. Um, you know, boats do get them eight, ten miles out, but from here it tends to be water over 200 foot, I would say. Um, Penzance is a bit difficult. Um, if you've got a way of measuring temperature on your boat, through your sander and things like that, I would look for a water temp. I mean, blue sharks in our waters, the evidence is your catches are better between sort of 12 degrees and 18 and a half. If you've got a warm summer, look for, um, I look for temperature changes. So what's called um, tidal fronts and things like that, ocean fronts. So if you go half a mile and your water temperature changes by two degrees, that's a really good area because that's a hot spot for primary production. It's a hot spot for bait. Does it matter if it changes up or changes down? Or no, it changes but, um, horizontally, in the, so you'll actually see it as you go along. Your, you know, your, ah, gotcha. Yeah, your sander will be reading sort of fourteen, four, no, you say eight, seventeen, seventeen, seventeen. You know, go up to nineteen. Now the thing is, if the temperature is very high, if it's above eight, about eighteen and a half. Look for the cold side of the front. If it's below, look for the warm side. So, uh, I mean, uh, well, I'll give you an example. One day, I think we had something like 19 fish by doing this. There was a boat to the south, two miles to the south of us on the warm side where the temperature was above, was about 19, very high. They had one fish all day. So, you know, it does make a massive difference. Look for, look for temperature breaks. Um, I mean, that you will find them in vicinities of wrecks, you know, um, avoid, uh, I mean, avoid very heavy algal blooms. You're really going to struggle to catch fish in heavy algal blooms. Um, I use satellite technology quite a lot to pinpoint areas to avoid and also use it to pinpoint areas to go to, you know, where the temperature, yeah. If you get an idea where a temperature will change, I, I mean, the other thing is talk to skippers, you know, skippers, they may not know why they know this stuff, but they'll know areas where, um, where they may not want to tell you, like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you know, they'll, 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 they're, 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 there are, you know, I mean, I'm quite happy to talk to anyone, anyone wants to talk to me about it, I'm you know, more than happy to talk about it. That would be my my advice. I mean, I tend to look for air to start the drift in areas near wrecks or try and cover some wrecks. We're lucky we got loads of wrecks out of here, and not so lucky for the sailors, obviously, but you know, it was, um, I will tend to look for an area that's got a, um, a larger percentage of wrecks or things like that so we can cover you often find them you know they won't necessarily hang about wrecks for long but they will visit them um, whether that works or not i don't know other skippers fish you know they fish particular areas all their life um yeah i, I mean my big thing we look for a temperature break look for some structure on the bottom look for that depth of water um yeah i think that you know that would be never never cut anyone else's slick it doesn't do yes. anything to Don't if you've got another boat, I tend, give them two miles clear clearance. Um, it doesn't do either of you any favors. Both of you will catch less sharks. You're not going to nick sharks off them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, exactly. You know exactly. That, that that would be you know 
but there's plenty of room out there. You know, people want to go and do it in a small boat. They do it for, you know, I know some lads come down regularly, have fantastic times out, never bother anyone. Brilliant. You know, if they want to talk to me, I'll, I'll say where I suggest. I mean, we've all got our favourite areas. It's like, you know, we, yeah, we, we've got areas we tend to do, but, you know, I mean, the day we had the big shark, um, the day before we blanked, the first time in nine years I actually blanked, and I was absolutely gutted because I had a good friend on board. Um, missed a run within five minutes, never had a touch all day, and it, it, fishing had been a bit hard. So gone home, um, talked to one of my mates down in Lou. He said, no, oh, it's been a bit better down there. Looked at the satellite imagery, thought, well, that area looks really good. We're going to have a look out there. Did a few extra miles. We had 17 up to 215, so you can't argue with that. You know, it's, it, it's yeah. When you but, say yeah. you look at the satellite imagery, you look at the, at the uh, what, what, what are you looking at? Because you're looking uh, at yeah, the sea. Yeah, I've got particular sites I look at, um, which give you sea surface temperature. Oh, sea and, surface. Oh, I got you. Yeah, that, was, and, that was what I was looking for, like for what type of features you look at. Yeah, I'm looking for sea surface temperature and algal blooms and stuff like that. So I'm looking for areas where the temperature changes suddenly. So you know you get a you know you, you might get a one or two degree temperature break. Uh, we have a, a sort of semi permanent tidal front to the east of us, which marks the sort of eastern extent of where the blue sharks go. And later in the year, that can be quite good because the sharks actually just sort of run along that front. There's food there; they're reluctant to go past it, but they're you know they're quite happy to they're quite happy to hunt along it. So you know, don't always think west is best. You know, always think oh you know because. <laughs> Yeah, the Penzance skippers do so well. We'll go down there. There are occasions where going up east can, you know, from where we are, you know, because of particular features. It's like any sort of fishing, in it. You know, you go wreck fishing, you're fishing, you know, to a, to a structure. Now, blue sharks are pelagic. Their structures are different. They're not, you know, they're not bloody great um, lumps of metal stuck in the water. They're, you know, things, subtle things like changes in temperature, um, areas where there's lots of food is the main thing you know you think if, if there's going to be lots of zooplankton in an area there's going to be lots of fish that feed on the zooplankton and you know you don't get to be a shark that travels you know three or four thousand miles every year without knowing where food's going to be <laughs> simon what's your view on uh kayak fishing for sharks you think it's a oh it's a cool idea to you know mix things up or you think it's absolutely bonkers don't do it <laughs> I, I mean, know. like, you know, you people who are genuinely taking kayak on the charter boat and, you know, just <laughs> dropping out the kayak I, in the water just to catch a fish from the kayak. Oh, well, I'm, I mean, you know, who, who am I to say? I, I mean, it wouldn't be my cup of tea personally. I mean, getting my feet too close to the shark, the sharp end. Put it this way, I wouldn't be dangling my toes in the water. Uh, yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. for sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, if people want to do it, and they can do it safely for both themselves and the sharks. Knock yourself out would be my view on it. I mean, I, um, I'm not sure I'd want to do it for some of the larger species of sharks and some of the other interesting creatures we get in our waters now. But um, it's a bit like an untucked sleigh ride from the old days, isn't it? You know, your little boat with a harpoon in a whale. That's just crazy stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, but I, I know I've got a lot of friends who do it, and I've got a lot of time for oh, it. Oh, really? Oh. You know, they great you know it's it's fine it's not my cup of tea but you do it safely that's yeah. you 
I, I guess that's that's the, that's the thing, you know. Once you know what you're doing, and you and you take all the boxes of common sense, then then you're good. This is Simon. So now let's let's uh, touch on the subject of stocks and something that again on on that webinar that I mentioned on a Shark Trust website or our Shark Trust YouTube page, you you elaborate in in great detail. Um, but for for purpose of our listeners. It seems like what's your what's your view? Because it seems like you you mentioned poor beagles are tend to uh, I'm, I'm kind of slow in saying like making a comeback because it's all this all all always this question like whether they're a comeback or is it a change in distribution? But we see definitely more poor beagle sharks, uh, and somehow ironically is like once you have more poor beagle sharks, then you hear more voices of you know, kind of um, uh, people towards animal rights spectrum, uh, you know, getting upset, oh, don't touch them, don't fish for them. Like, like well, there's actually much more of them than there used to be. Uh, blue sharks, you presented uh, quite interesting graphs that are uh, essentially going going up. Um, we see, obviously, we know that the uh, bluefin uh, fishery was open again because bluefin uh, tuna starts appearing and I, I i was fishing for for sharks with the skipper who used to fish for for bluefin and he had the fighting chair and all that in, in his boat and he kind of removed that and sold it because like oh we never see a bluefin again and there we are so on the other hand when you look at the reports, uh, Living Planet report, you know everything is south. Everything is endangered. Everything is going extinct. We have a major crisis of biodiversity. All these things, and yet here we have like sort of like a contradicting data. Like, well, what you're talking about? We have all those fish now appearing, and there's more and more of them. And like, so, what's your? What are your comments on? Um, My comments are that ecology is hugely complicated. And for sure, I think sometimes environmental groups tend to put a very, they have a very straight line idea um, without looking a bit deeper into it. I'm, I, I think with the bluefin tuna is a classic example. I mean, there were strict tax put in place, there is knowledge to be stock recovery. Um, over you know a reasonable period of time, they've returned in massive numbers to the southwest. I mean, you know, we see them most trips we go out now. Um, you know, to sell about it's a good news story for fisheries management. Um, and in my opinion, you're better off selling as a good news story, saying, "Look, we can make a difference." I mean, the trouble with negative stuff is that you end up with, you know, oh, what, what, what are we going to do? Don't, don't matter what we do, you know, we're not going to make a difference. Because this is, a, you know, that's a story of positive things were done, um, positive things happened. We are seeing a recovery. Um, no, there, there may well be an element of redistribution as well, but data from all around the world confirms that, you know, from the Northern Hemisphere and the Atlantic, especially the Eastern stock, um, which we seem to mainly get indicates this species has made a huge recovery and that's great news you know um i would be more cautious with poor beagles i think there are a lot more than they used to be the problem as i said before with poor beagles is that they produce relatively few pups so you, before you start hailing as a success you need to see several generations um happening um blue sharks 
So they produce lots of pups and they mature early. As sharks go, they're pretty fecund. They produce a lot of offspring. Um, I I would say the Irish data, I haven't seen the latest lot, and our data suggests there is, you know, the one thing I'm still with certainty, there are more sharks around our coast, more blue sharks, and more apex predators around our coast than we've probably seen for my lifetime at least. Um, it's difficult to go back any longer. Blue shark stocks globally, you know, fit it into the model, you know, have these fish just moved? I mean, my thought is I think there's probably a element of stock redistribution due to the changes. Um, you know, I could talk about changes in salinity patterns in the North Atlantic, changes in the currents. I think that has been, you know, I can show that that has an effect. Um, my feeling is that stocks have also recovered. Um, there certainly are, and, and, and I, you know, I can I work out reasons why. Um, they're listed as near threatened anyway, blue sharks. You know, they're not under one of the highest levels. Um, but the big danger to them isn't anglers. You know, you, you can see from what we talked about when we touched with the tag returns, you know, long liners are. You know, they were previously classed as bycatch. They now have attack for them. They now acknowledge that they're a, um, you know, they're actually a target species for the oh. first time. Um, but, you know, data from anglers, in fact, your Irish program led to them setting up attack. So that's a win. You know, that is, you know, for the first time, there is now a control on the number of blue sharks landed in the North Atlantic. Yeah. That's a positive side, right? It's huge. It's hugely positive. Um I I haven't. I think we need to put together all the different um, catch records from different places in the world, run them through a model. Um, but my feeling was, if a shark was going to recover in stocks, pelagic shark, the blue, blue the blue shark would be the one to do it first. Um, I think we touched upon some of the other issues, like the. Um, I mean, the mako sharks in serious danger. There's no doubt about that. The mako stocks are very low. Even the best predictions give it 40 to 60 years for a recovery. Now, that may have an effect on the blue. You know, as we talked about, it may have released the blue sharks from predation. Um, you know, and there may be other effects like the, um, the changes in our, white, you know, in our ground fish stocks, changes in our pollock numbers, changes in our cod numbers. You know, they're eating the same food. You know, if you, the way nature works, you know, if some, one thing doesn't eat it, something else will. You know, and so are the sharks actually replacing? You know, are we seeing a complete change in um, our system, our you know, our ecosystem in the UK? And that would be that would be a possibility. Um, but yeah, I, you know, I, I, I hate I hate it when ecological groups sell a very negative picture all the time. I think you have to highlight the good things. I think some of the things they're right to highlight, but you know, to me. Bluefin tuna are a good news story, and blue sharks to me potentially can be a good news story. I'm really hopeful that poor beagles can be too, because I think they're wonderful fish. Um, I, I, but I, I would say, with that, it's far too early to say, you know, whether that stock's probably recovered or not. Um, but what I will say is that some of the fish being caught around the United Kingdom are bigger than anything that we've ever seen. You know, um, that's, that's, yeah, no, I, 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 I agree with you completely that, and again, that's a not new thing to discuss on a, on a podcast that, uh, 
sometimes when you're being fed constant bad news, some people are just not stopping receptive at all and just like shut it off. And, and yeah. then, then you lost them. And I even wrote a blog where, you know, it was on the foot of my, my good friend catching a poor beagle shark, uh, posting a photo, you know, proud angler. Uh, posting a photo with Paul Beagle Shark, and then you obviously had a shower of like, oh, you know, these are critically endangered. Use this, use that, and something else. And I even wrote a blog saying like, well, you know, yes, on one hand, because like you said, this is this is a kind of complicated problem because on one hand, all anglers that I know talk about uh, fish welfare and release them quickly, and you know all these things. But then actually they're, you know, sticking hook in the fish and removing them from the water and making their trophy photos and so on, right? And how you reconcile that and, and are you, as an angler, you know, if you hook into your poor beagle shark, so, you know, like I'm chasing poor beagle shark for many years and I only uh, caught a small pup and it was like a bycatch, it was like by accident. And so if you're an angler and you catch that poor beagle shark, are you you know, willing to put your, your money where your mouth was and actually not remove it from the water and take your photo? Or you, you know, it's like, you know, are you adopting technique like, you know, catch them while you can because we're going to run out anyway and this is the last chance. So um, it, it, it's, it's, complex. It's, it's, it's complex. Well, I, I posed this question to somebody last week about poor beagles. I had a specific thing. I said, you've got a way up. Um, whether you would rather understand the species better and the people who understand the species the best are the skippers and the people who fish for them. Um, you know, to do a PSAT study, I put one of these satellite tags in a fish, massively expensive. You know, you see these studies and they've done 13 fish. I mean, whoopee-doo, you know. You know, <laughs> it, 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 you know, and most of it, the data is inconclusive. If you talk to the skippers who really know about bald eagles, they are the ones with the knowledge, and that knowledge, you know, way up. What is more important to you? Long-term protection of the species through knowing more about it, or short-term gain for your organisation? Um, you know, to by you know saying, oh, we should think there should be no fishing for them. I mean, I think I, I think it's a complicated subject, and it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, as you say, you you are putting a hook in a fish. You know, that's basically what we do. Um, and I understand people who don't agree with it. I'm not, you know, I, I you know, I don't agree with them. Um, I enjoy what I do. I also think there are massive benefits to what we do for our health, um, for our sanity, um, and for engaging people with, with nature. Um, but I understand other people's point of view, and I think that's a, you know, it's the thing we should try and do. I, uh, you know, I object when these, when they have these proclamations and put petitions out to ban this and that. Talk to us. I mean, that's the thing, you know, we can talk. I'm quite happy to talk to people with other views. You know, I'm not going to hate you. I'm not going to start a row with you. I'm not, you know, talk, you know, we, we can talk to each other. There is there is so much common ground. Ultimately, we both want the same thing. We want lots of numbers of fish. We want to see these sharks doing really, really well, don't we? You know, it's in our, our advantage. It's in their advantage. And are you really prepared to, you know, put something that, you know, is angling for poor beagles really going to affect the stocks or is bycatch from the hake fishery and you know 
you know, because there is a zero tax, you know, is that the problem? Is, you know, catching them in gill nets accidentally, is that the problem? What what has a bigger effect? You know, it, it's it, it's a question, it's a question organisations have to answer, ask themselves. I mean, it is a tricky subject. For me, blue sharks are an easy one to work with because of, you know, they are a different IUCN uh, rated level. Um, they're less controversial. Um but there is there's masses of information out there, far more than we know, you know, than scientists know. Do they really want that? You know, it's the same question. Do you really want to let that go to waste? Yeah. I mean, you know, I know skippers who probably know more than anyone else on the planet about these fish, about their distribution, about their habits, about things they do. Capture that information would be my argument. You know, it, if you're looking at it long term, um, you know, it's uh, I, I as you say we don't see a lot of poor beagles. One we see are pups. The biggest one I've ever seen was about sixty seventy pound. Um, actually caught. I mean I have seen a ridiculous blue sh- um, poor beagle out of New Haven years ago that did a jaws moment on me. Um, I was trying to swing a smooth hand into the boat, and as I did it, I looked down and there was a eight nine ten foot poor beagle trying to eat it. And I mean, I did have to look twice to make sure it was a poor beagle. It was one of their moments. It was such a big fish. And everyone else on the boat saw it. And um, it then took my tote bait and proceeded just to very leisurely swim away until it bit through the trace. (laughs) Oh, that was my question. Did you try to catch it? But yeah, I I didn't deliberately try to catch it. It just went straight off. And uh, yeah, yeah, it was one of those sort of you're looking down and think, oh my God. I met a bloke on board who'd never been fishing before. And he's sort of looking at this, and he's looking a bit unsurprised. And he said to me, "Oh, do you see these every day?" It's like, no, not really, mate. You know, <laughs> he's not so nice. I go out there and see every day. This is this is with the with the newbies, right? They sometimes they see like something quite obvious and and regular, and they say, "Oh my god!" And yeah. sometimes you see something out of ordinary, and well, they totally. go like, "Well, oh, man, yeah. like everything is kind of the same because everything is new." <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I suppose back to your point. I mean, you work out the number of hours that skippers and anglers spend at sea. Yeah, you imagine if scientists work with them, how much information they could get. If you were doing that on your research vessel, it would cost you an unbelievable amount of money. <laughs> but you know, you are ignoring experts from experience these people know this stuff because they've been doing it for so long you know they're not you know just because i've got a doctorate it doesn't mean make me better or cleverer than anyone else you know there are people out there who have vast knowledge about these things um, and we're ignoring it i mean that's my, my major motivation for doing what i'm doing um, and i think environmental groups have got to actually weigh up whether they you know, it, it's a risk benefit, isn't it? Do you, you know, what is the better way of protecting a species long term? Is it campaigning against angling, or is it actually to work with us and maximize the amount of good we can do? Yeah, and and you know, not to it's 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 always uh, kind of sticky ground because you you running into danger of generalizing, and obviously there are there are you know, great course, environmental yeah. organizations and there are environmental organizations who are absolute shit. Um, yeah, very well said. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, from what I talk with scientists and, you know, uh, and, and people who are in the NGOs, I noticed that over, and, and even on social media, overwhelmingly 
scientists are recognizing what you say that knowledge those hours doing you know whether these are hunters or anglers or skippers they do recognize um like i said sheer number of hours spent in the environment and knowledge that comes with it uh and it in my observation is that these these are like where the opposition is there's mainly environmental groups who are kind of position themselves as getting people outraged to get them to donate and then it's quite it's it's i think there are kind of more susceptible those type of people like oh my god they're doing this thing i'm going to support the organization like and and that's where the whole situation gets derailed because it stops revolving around like oh what actually what are we trying to do into like how are we going to finance ourselves to do something that we say that we want to do but mainly we need to get people upset so then the and, and and this is this situation where it's like and, and by the way i'm not you know I, i understand that i'm generalizing and i'm not naming any names because there are ngos that are doing absolutely fantastic job uh in working for example with policy makers um to to improve things listen simon so just to wrap this up um final question and this is something i i always uh or quite often ending my podcast with knowing what you know about you know everything that we discussed plus the you know obviously the situation with changing climate and and other negative things that are going on um what's your outlook for the future like are you optimistic when it comes um for for the future of of you know fish stocks angling fishing in general and maybe even broader you know uh biodiversity and and wildlife on the planet as a whole are you think we're we're um starting to see recover we're starting to see some positive trends or you gravely concerned about you know how it's going to pan out and it might pan out very badly um i mean i think we will see changes to distribution of stocks um i think we're already seeing it with like the increase in the number of john dory we see in the summer uh range extension of things like undulate ray around here you know, a species that is associated with warmer water um the retreat of some of our colder water species uh that seems to be a pattern I mean I'm not going to go into the complexities of global warming and that sort of thing so I know there'll be some um but yeah I, I would say we're seeing a pattern there as for I think I think some species of shark so, I mean as I said before I think there are some species of shark we're just going to wipe out you know unfortunately do you um, think so yeah I I think there are some species that are so threatened now it's very hard to see there's enough genetic diversity left um i wouldn't put mako quite into that category but i would say that they may need to have action immediately uh to protect them mm-hmm. and it's what sharks would you put into that category sorry what sharks would you put into that category mako one i would put uh, you know things like um you know um trying to think what what sharks I would put into this in that category would be I mean some of the hammerhead species threatened um I think there are some of the rarer sharks that you'll just just going to just disappear I think you know I think those deep water sharks yeah, the, the, the cookie cutters some, and others 
Yeah, and I, I put Mako into the category of I'm really concerned. Uh, they are a high-value meat, um, they're not just a thin product. They're slow-growing. They don't pup that often. Um, they don't produce many pups. You need to really have a very strict policy on commercial fishing for them. Um, Paul Beagle's on cautiously optimistic, I would say. I would say that from a state where I was very worried about the stock, I think there's some really good signs of recovery. But just because of the you know the long generation times, I wouldn't be celebrating yet. Blue sharks, maybe they're a beneficiary. You know, when you know if you take something out of the system, maybe blue sharks do really, really well. I think um, you know, I, I am I am I'm not concerned about blue sharks at the moment to any any same extent. Um, I think it's complicated. I think there are economic concerns as well. I think fortunately for blue sharks, their meat is absolute shit. <laughs> I think, uh, <laughs> you know, something that you've got to put into a freezer to get rid of the ammonia for two weeks, you know, to me is not edible. Unfortunately, they've got big fins. I think if we have strict anti-finning policies, um, you know, it needs to be coordinated, you know, in the North Atlantic, you know, I count them, you know, it needs to be, but, you know, I'm optimistic for blue shark populations. I think they're doing very well. I suspect we, we there is evidence we're already seeing other species of sharks in UK waters. Um, sawtooth sand tiger sharks are getting close, um, things like that. I, yeah, I would say we will see a retreat of many of our the species that are at the southern extent of their range and a northern extension of those some other species. So... The thing is, you know, you know, you know what ecosystems are like. You take one little part and you affect another little part. So it'll reset itself at some equilibrium. Whether that will be favourable to us, I don't know. You know, it, it's it, it's unpredictable. It's massively complicated. Um, I, I'm not completely negative about it. I'd say I'm not. You know, I'm not one of these complete doom merchants. I think there'll be. I think we've shown through poor beagles and to some extent blue sharks, we can make a difference. We, the bluefin tuna, we can make a difference. It's not too late. You know, if we actually take this seriously, um, and, and I do think that painting a completely negative picture of everything is just, you know, you know, it, it's almost like it's a sense of despair. You know, I, I think every one of us can make a difference. And, you know, I strongly believe that anglers can make a massive difference for good. You know, I, you know, I, I fish because I love fishing. I've fished since I was a baby. You know, I, I I do it. I work with sharks because I think I can make a difference. And I'm very lucky to work with some fantastic other people. And, you know, the skippers and the clubs I work with have entrusted me with this. Um, and, you know, I do think we – I think the Irish programme is a brilliant example. I mean, you you led, you know, through through that programme, you made a difference. You allowed them to do a proper stock assessment. They actually preferred your data to all the others, which was an inspiration for what we do. You know, it, you, you can't. I mean, that that would be my message. Don't give up on it. You know, don't be. You know, don't say there isn't a problem, but don't say you can't cure it. You know, I, and I think we can play a you know a massive part in doing that. Simon, that's a fantastic message. Thank you very much for for that. Thank if you, uh, if if people want to uh, get in touch with you or or maybe you know with other organizations, uh, where where they can go, where what what shout outs would you like to give? Uh, well, I would yeah. say the Shark Angling Club of Great Britain are always a good site to look at. Um, 
the Sports Fishing Club of the British Isles would be the other one. I'm the honorary biologist for both. Their websites are, um, have a lot of information. If people want to contact me personally, they can have my email if you want to give it out to them and that sort of thing. So maybe um, I, wouldn't go, I wouldn't go just that far because you might be, get a lot of spam. But uh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but, you know, through Facebook or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. I'm more than happy to talk fish with people, you know, and that's... It, it's, it's always good, isn't it? Just to sit down and natter about something. For um, it's a shame we can't do it in person at the moment. But uh, yeah, I know. Maybe, maybe look. Maybe once the the travel restrictions are are uh, lifted, then then we can meet in person. I'm I, I'm having plans to do like a you know uh, big trips and meet with various people's uh, people face to face. So uh, maybe you know we we we'll, let's stay in touch. So uh, Simon, thank you a lot for that. It was it was it was great. Tons of knowledge, greatly inspirational, and thank you for your. Well, thank you, Tony, for giving me the chance, mate. It's been an absolute pleasure. Uh, hopefully, we'll get out fishing sometime together. Absolutely. See ya. Take care.